Hello, friends. Welcome to the Rocky Peak Young Adults Podcast. We meet Sunday nights at 7.30 at the church at Rocky Peak. For more info about upcoming events, follow us on Instagram, at rpyoungadults. Enjoy the message. Good evening, RPYA family. Can we please thank our worship team for just straight up knocking it out of the park? Oh, man. Every one of them are worship leaders right there. Every one of you. Thank you, Aiden. Yes, every one of you are worship leaders. And even some of you in the front were just inspiring me to just just get real with Jesus right now, man. I just had a Jesus moment. I know you feel it. I know it's in the room right now. The Spirit is here, and He is welcome. I hope He's welcome in your heart because God wants to do a great thing in your life tonight. In case you don't know who I am, my name is Kelly. I'm the pastor here at Rocky Peak Young Adults. And this is a safe place to bring your hurts, your hangups, your problems. It's okay to not be okay, right? This is a place where you can belong before you believe. And our goal is that you will leave here looking, loving, and and, uh, experiencing more Jesus than you came in here with. Okay, does that sound good? All right, I'm also a chocolate pastor. That means if I say something that you agree with, it's okay to say amen or yell or just, you know, just be like every once in a while, preach, Kelly. Like, it's all good, right? Right? Because I need some, I need something from you guys. I, I, I have, I'm giving you guys a lot. Just let me know that you're catching it. Is that cool? All right, cool. Great. We're going to start our series. It's called Why Jesus is King, and it's a response to what's happening in society. You know, there is an uprising and an awareness uh, that Jesus is, in fact, king, uh, and, and, it, it was, and a lot of it was sparked by a man who had a dramatic transformation. At least he says he has a transformation, and I am excited to, you know, explore what that looks like maybe even in your life or what's been happening and you know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Kanye. And that's why we like totally, you know, copied his, <laughs> his, his graphics. Because we want to respond to, we want to respond to culture. We want to respond to what's happening in culture. And so that's the thing. The, this is the culture that, this is the conversation that culture is having, having right now. So we just want to join the conversation, okay? We just want to join the conversation. And the question that I want to ask is, why are people so obsessed with kings anyways? I mean, after all, we do live in a democracy. But people are obsessed with a monarchy, with a patriarchy, with, with royalty, right? And I'm sure you know this because you can't go five days without hearing somebody talk about Game of Thrones. Ah, I didn't even have to say it, right? And so and when, I, when I, I, I did some research, I went on IMDb, and actually the top three, like the top three highest grossing TV shows right now are online there there are the the show called Rome you might have heard of Rome nobody heard, raise your hand if you heard of Rome yeah okay Rome I, I told you I'm gonna be asking something from you guys okay all right Rome have you ever heard of the crown the crown oh okay yeah yeah or you and of course you've heard of Game of Thrones now do you know how much money these people are netting right this is after they pay the actors after they pay the studios every how much money they're netting per episode for the movie or for the TV show Rome, this is per episode. Now think about it. You have like a lot of episodes, maybe even 20 episodes per season, and there's like up to nine or ten seasons for some of these um, shows. For Rome, it's nine million dollars per episode. For The Crown, it's 13 million per episode. And for the Game of Thrones, of course, it's fifteen million 
dollars per episode after they've paid off everybody. And, you know, Game of Thrones is like in nine seasons, and they just keep going. And it's unfortunate um, for all of us. Um, but society is obsessed with royalty. And if we can get 30 minutes on the clock, that would be great. Uh, society is obsessed with royalty. And, and the thing is, is that this is a... Um, um, this is something that's not just current for our day. This is something that's been going on in our history, right, in our, in our legacies, right? This is in our mythology. And all of the royal stories kind of go the same way. And you can pretty much predict it. And it kind of goes like this. Here, I'll read it, read it uh, to you. There was once a great king who ruled with wisdom and power and justice. And when the king was there, the land experienced peace. Civilization blossomed. Relationships blossomed, economy blossomed. But something happened to the king. The king was taken away, and everything deteriorated, fallen away. But one day, we look forward to a day when the king will come back. Isn't that the plot of every ancient Disney, Lord of the Rings, King Arthur, Camelot, Robin Hood? All those stories, they're all waiting for a king to return to restore to the land peace and prosperity and that the land and relationships would then blossom again. King Arthur, right? King Arthur ruled and Camelot existed. But when King Arthur died, Camelot was gone. And now we await for the king to come back and restore Camelot. Even in Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, the basic theme is that there is a true king in the north. And then when he shows up, everything will blossom again. I like what R. Tolkien says. R. R. Tolkien says, he says, The hands of the king are healing hands, and thus shall the rightful king be known. Right? The king's hands are healing hands. Right? Restoring back what was lost. And the, but the funny thing is, is that that's not how real, real monarchies work. Right? That's not how real, like, kings work in reality see in society when we go into a country and we observe a country and we see a real monarchy with kings and satraps and patriarchs and all kinds of things like that you often see a tyrannical leader who's oppressing people and you often see slavery right and so and so what do we do we, we, we go in there, and then we try to set up a democracy. So even currently, even London acts like a democracy, right? It's more like a figurehead. And a lot of the times when, when, when people go into a country and then set up a democracy, guess who's doing that? It's oftentimes Christians. But you know just as much as I do that democracy is not a solution. It's a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid. And the reason why we set up a democracy is because none of us are sinless enough to rule over sinful people. That's why um, a monarchy doesn't work right now. Because none of us are sinless enough to rule over sinful people. But in lands where there is no king, where there is no princes, where there is no royalty, you know what we end up doing? We end up crowning somebody or something or someone. We end up crowning billionaires. We end up crowning actors, actresses. We end up, you know, we also end up crowning criminals. You know, across the street, the Manson-like situation there, right? People are there all the time worshiping a horrifying criminal, right? Because somehow, someway, we are meant to crown someone. 
Why is that? Why is that? The reason why we adore kings or we create them out of people and celebrities is because there is a memory trace in human history of one real great king. One who ruled with power and wisdom, with compassion and justice and glory. See, we were built to submit to that king, to give ourselves to that king, to stand before that king, to adore that king, to know that king. There is a king above all kings. And that if you reject that true king, you will end up finding another king who will rule you and poison you. There is a real king. There is a real king that our hearts long for. And he shows up in history in three places. He shows up in history in three places. So if you would meet me in the first place, is in Matthew chapter 2, we find a king in a manger. We find a king in a manger. And uh, so that's my first point. If there's a slide to support that, that'd be awesome. But if not, it's all good. We find the king in a manger. Now, this is the unsuspecting king. Nobody expects a king to show up as a baby. And, and I, I wanted to change this point, but I thought it was like too late. Because actually in Luke chapter 2 is where we find Jesus in a manger. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. And what we're going to do is look at the Magi, the star, and Herod. And so what I would like to say is for the first point, we actually find a king in creation. A king in creation. So if you want, write manger and then put a slash through it and put creation. Because we find our first king, we find the king, the king that our hearts long for in creation. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1, I'll go to 3. Verses 1 through 3, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, which are astrologers, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And Herod's like, what? I thought that was me. The Magi said, we saw his star, and when it rose, and when it rose, we have come to worship him. When the king Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. So, what we see here, I want you to notice three things. You see, you see Magi. Magi are astrologers, and they were from the east, so they're not necessarily Jewish people, right? Um, and then we also see a star. And then third, we also see Herod, who was really disturbed, which I think some of us would be disturbed also if you knew what they knew. See, what I like about the Magi, what I like about the Magi is that, is that they were on a journey from the east and they made it to Jerusalem. And I want you to know that having faith in Jesus Christ is a journey. It's a journey. And you may be on a journey as well. And it takes time. And in this conversation when we're talking about why Jesus is king, uh, I know that a lot of people may be asking you, what do you think about Kanye West? What do you think about what Kanye is doing or if the trans, uh, transformation is actually real? And I think you should respond the same way that I think, well, Adam Tyson responded, which was the pastor that he hired. He said, everyone's on a journey. You're on a journey. 
Kanye's on a journey. The best thing that we can do is be patient for people who are on a journey. And so, and, and, and that's the thing. And, and the cool thing about this, about the Magi, is that they, they don't, they're not necessarily Jesus followers. They don't, like, they're not, they weren't necessarily anticipating, like, a coming Messiah, right? But what they were doing is looking at the sky. And I like that God spoke through creation to meet people who were unsuspecting, right? God met these magi where they were at, and that's where their journey began. I don't know for you, but maybe God has met you where you were at, maybe in your stupor. I've met people who got, who got saved while they were high, but God met them where they were at, but he loved them too much to leave them there and sent them on a journey. The same thing is true with Kanye is that we need to be patient with anybody who claims Jesus Christ as Lord. And we wait in hopeful anticipation for their discipleship and development and sanctification. Because guess what? Most people's sanctification is not on a, in front of a, of a TV screen. Most people are not being written about when they're making their decision about Christ. But this man is. So we need to be patient and loving and pray for him. Is that cool? we do that? And also, we need to be patient with one another because we're all on a journey. So uh, that's the first thing with the Magi. And, and now we have this star, the star, this, this star. And, and I like this star because it reminds me that God doesn't need me, <laughs> that God doesn't need you, that if he wanted to, he would make the rocks preach the gospel. He would use the stars to lead people to Jesus. He would you, you know, the crazy thing is that God did not speak to these magi, but he did speak in a language that they understood, astrology. And so I, I, I find myself in conversations with, like, atheists or agnostics or people who are doubting their faith, and they say, Kelly, Kelly, not like that. <laughs> but I wish they would. I would just laugh. They're like, you know what? What I don't get about Christianity is that, you know, what if people don't hear about Jesus in, like, other countries? Maybe they're from Ungabunga, Africa, and they don't know where Jesus is, you know, or who Jesus is. Like, are those, is God going to send them to hell? And I'm like, people don't go to hell because they haven't heard of Jesus. People go to hell because they broke God's law, and God has made it plain to them through creation and their conscience. Right? We're all lawbreakers before we ever heard of the name of Jesus, period. But let me explain here. This story right here, right here, this story, let me tell you something. God did not send a missionary to the Magi's. He did not send a book to the Magi's. If God wanted to talk to a Magi or an astrologer, he would just produce a star if he had to. And now, maybe it's not enough to get you to Jesus, but it'll get you to Jerusalem. It'll get you close, right? Because, you know, Jesus is in Bethlehem, and they showed up to Jerusalem. Anyways, anyways, but here, that's the reality, is that God doesn't need humans to reach the people he's trying to reach. And God desires that all people come to the knowledge and faith of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus is, or what God is doing then, and he's doing it right now. So far, so good? All right, so you can use that answer. All right, that's the star. The third thing is Herod. Now, there's a little King Herod living in all of us because when anybody tries to compete for the throne of your life, now the throne is somebody who makes all the decisions, right? If you heard the great poet, I forgot his name, but you'll know it right now, uh, the one who says, I'm the, 
captain of my soul. I'm the master of my fate. I know I quoted that wrong. Right? It's, yeah, is that, is that right? Did I quote it right? Yeah. And so, and that's actually a prevailing way of thinking about your life. Being the master of my soul and, and the captain of my faith or the captain of my soul and the master of my faith. Right? When, when, when you think like you're in charge of your life, you're actually saying, no, I am the king of the decisions that I make. And if there's only one person that can sit on the throne of your life at a time, it's going to be you or somebody else. You make decisions either to please somebody or to appease someone or to uh, work towards a particular goal or desire that you want. There's only one person that can sit on the throne of your life at a time. And the same thing was true with King Herod because there's only one king of the Jews at a time. And at the time, Rome appointed a king, and that was Herod. Now, Herod was a bad dude. He was the worst. That is one guy you did not want to look at sideways at because King Herod was a paranoid schizophrenic, and he killed people that he thought were competing for his throne, including his wife, including his mother-in-law, including his three sons. And there was a common saying of the day that it was, it's better to be Herod's pig than it would be to be his son. King Herod is living in all of us, though. Because at the thought of giving Jesus to your life, are you disturbed? Maybe you're saying, no, 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 it's okay. No, I want Jesus to be the leader of my life. But here's the thing. You walk through life disturbed. You're anxious. You're worried. You know why? Because you're not getting what you want. But guess what? That's still you leading your life. If you're leading your life, you're going to be disturbed at the thought that God is actually in charge. So point one, there's a king in creation. And he's an unsuspecting king. And he leads with humility. And he's not going to force you to give him your, to give you his heart. Or to, he's not going to force you to give him your heart. Point two. There's a king on a cross. There's a king on a cross. So there's a king on a cross. So there's a king on a cross. Meet me over in Mark chapter 8. Just Matthew, Mark. It's the next book over in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, chapter 8, 34, it says this. Then he called the crowd. So there's a crowd of people that follow Jesus. There's a crowd of people. I mean, here's the thing. Jesus is still popular, and Jesus was popular then. But he's about to lose popularity after this statement. See, a lot of people, like, were following Jesus because, you know, like, oh, wow, this guy, he's the guy who, like, does like a 5,000-person buffet, like out of nowhere. Like, we're going to follow this guy. Right. Oh, this is the guy who heals sick people. I'm going to go, you know, hear what he has to say. Oh, this is the guy who raises the, plant, raises the dead and, and gives sight to the blind. Look, I want to go find out what this guy is doing. But what Jesus is doing right here is thinning the crowd. He's going to find out who's really for him and who's really for themselves. Does that make sense? Okay, now there's, there's the context. Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So you got the disciples and you have the crowd. And they're all coming to him. And Jesus says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny, themselves, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What is good? What's good? What, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Okay, Jesus called the crowd and his disciples and told them to walk death row with me. 
peace, Jesus, I'm out, right? So, like, that will definitely thin the crowd, right? That is not a sermon that people are wanting to hear. If you're trying to recruit people to follow you, you don't tell them you're going to die unless you're trying to get the people who care more about the mission than they, uh, than they do about their lives. And that's what great leaders did uh, in, in history. I, I found a couple of those, um, you know, in the, um, in the Second World War, uh, Winston Churchill, he took uh, leadership over the country, and, he, and this is what he said to recruit soldiers. He says this, blood, toil, tears, and sweat is all I have to offer you. Yeah, that's, that's his pitch. Winston Churchill, Second World War, boom. Hey, money, fame, power, no. Blood, sweat, and tears. And, you know, and, and that's a mark of a great leader. Great leaders don't hide the truth from the people who are following them. Garibaldi, yeah, he was a great Italian patriot. Any Italian people in the house, probably descent, maybe look it up. Maybe you're a chromosome worth of Italian living in there. Uh, he says this, <clears throat> I offer neither pay nor quarters, which means living quarters, nor provision, but I offer hunger, thirst, forced marches, battle, and death. Let him who loves his country in his heart and not with his lips only follow me. Dang. That's a real deal. That guy's a real deal. And, and, and the crazy thing is, is that great leaders don't hide the truth from their followers. And Jesus is telling you the truth because he is the truth. And he is the way and he is the life. The next thing I want you to understand is that he's saying, take up your cross. So what exactly is Jesus trying to ask you to do? He's asking you to deny your self-determination to get what you want. You think you know that you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, dentist, uh, I don't know why paleontologist came to mind, um, but if you are a paleontologist, I love dinosaurs, let's hang out later. Um, but, you, but here's the thing, that's still not the chief end of your life. Right? The other, you're not like you're not more excited about paleontology or music or acting or whatever. Like that is not the chief motivation of life. Jesus is the chief motivation of life, and if He requires you to give it up, you freely do that. And I, and and I like that it's a cross because to them that just means you know, hey, we're gonna walk death row together. If you're gonna follow a king that's on a cross, then you're gonna have to pick up one too. So taking up a cross also means denying controlling your life. It also means denying using him for your own agenda. You know, you use God for your own agenda when you, like, finally start praying during finals. When you finally start praying when that relationship starts going south. When you start praying when you see mom and dad start fighting. When finances are low. And you're just using God like a vending machine? No. Picking up your cross means denying using God for your own agenda. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. This shouldn't be uncommon to you. If you've ever, like, had a talent, if you're a dancer, actor, or a professional musician... 
if you don't use or practice your talent, you're going to lose it. Or maybe, maybe, uh, maybe some of you like to garden, right? There, there are some expensive seeds out there that create amazing trees. But if you were to save that seed, you're not going to get anything from it. It's only when you bury it, it actually brings something beautiful. Uh, there's a story of a, of a man who's rather tall, and he uh, purchased uh, tickets for, uh, uh, like a fl- for a flight, really expensive, like, uh, um, no, it wasn't that expensive, but, but you know, he like upgraded to the exit row, so he had extra leg space, you know, have you done that before? Well, maybe you're not, maybe you're not there, you're like, I'm going to save my $35 and buy some peanuts, because <laughs> that's how much they cost. Thank you. American Airlines. And so he like, he totally bought like the extra leg space and um, he bought the extra leg space and, and he was stoked because he finally get, he gets, to the, he gets to his seat and then all the other people start piling in around him and he starts to notice that this flight's really full and he's really grateful that he has his spot. And so he buckles in and he puts his stuff around and he's starting seeing people and people are kind of like, you know, like brushing up against him. He's a little uncomfortable, but he's really glad that he has his spot. And then finally everybody's in and he sees this one lady trickle in and, and the stewardess is like looking for people to give up their seat uh, so, that they w- so, so that they can make room for this one lady because they accidentally overbooked the flight. And so the stewardess is looking and he's like trying to put his <laughs> head down, like trying not to make eye contact. And sure enough, the stewardess comes over to him and says, sir, would you be willing to give up your seat for this lady who doesn't have a seat? And he's just like really holding on. He's like, you know what? I, you know, I, I booked this in advance. Like I can't, you know, I just really can't let go of this seat. And then she's like, all right, fine. I'll find somebody else. And then she walks away and he like starts feeling bad because, you know, he just went to church this morning and everything. And he, uh, he's like, hey, hey, uh, stewardess lady, what happened? Wh- where would I sit if, if I gave up my seat? She's like, oh, oh, yeah, we have extra first-class seats that we give to anybody who is willing to give up their seat. And they're like, he's like, what? Really? I almost missed out, missed out on that. And then he gets up, and he, like, sits in first class, and it's better than he ever could have imagined, right? Right? Okay, that's an illustration of what Jesus is trying to say here, right? Jesus is saying, hey, if you give up your life for what, how old are you? Like, you know, 20-something? Yeah, how old are you? 18. Awesome. So 18, this is 18, 25, it worked out. Cool. Seriously, they need to card her at the club, okay? Um, um, so, so, so here's the thing. You're only going to live another, like, 70 years max, sweetheart. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, everybody who's older, you're, like, even, even 69, 70, you're like, don't even, like, even hate. But the reality is, is that we don't have much time here, right? Right? I, you know, I'm just saying average, the average death mortality rate is 90, 80, whatever, give or take a few years. Um, and the reality is, Jesus says, hey, trade me your, your 70 years, your 80 years, and I'll give you eternity, Right? you will gain far more than you will ever, ever lose. But there's too many people on the plane of, you know, the earth that is holding on to their stupid little exit row when God is offering them first class, but it's just going to be a sacrifice now. 
right? So that's the reality. You will gain far more than you will ever lose. You won't live life until you're willing to walk down death row with Jesus. There's a song that we sang, Death, Where Is Your Sting? Right? These, these words, we talk about Jesus, you know, um, that, that now God has set us free from death. And, and the thing is, is that I, I've, I've never really heard it explained like this until I did some research. And I realized, wow, death, death is really a big fear of all of us. And, you know, if somebody were to come in here to like, and with a gun and, 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 they, and they threaten your life, right, they would be able to control you using the fear of death, right? So actually what happens, and, and here's the thing, that's an extreme example, but all of life is that way. If I don't work, like, I might die. You know, if I don't like, get married, I might die, you know, whatever. Like, like, we constantly think, oh, if I don't save up enough or what, I don't have enough money, like, like, the quality of my life on earth is going to suffer and then I'll die, you know. Um, so death is actually a, a, something that, that the enemy uses to control us, right? Death is actually the only tool the enemy uses to control us. Right? Because the fear of death is actually one of the biggest motivating factors of all of your bad decisions. But what was once used to control you in Christ is now used to free you. Because now the enemy can't use death to control you anymore because you're not afraid of it. Because what death does is just bring you closer to your maker. Now, don't get any ideas, depressed people. I love you. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're not dead, God's not done. Right? So it's not your life to give up anyways. Right? If you're not dead, God's not done. It's not your life to give up. Right? If you are in Christ, Jesus is the leader of your life. Right? And he's not going to lead you to destroy yourself. Because if you're not dead, God's not done. If he wants you out of here, he'll, he'll make that happen. And that's not a bad thing. Death is nothing to be afraid of. Death has lost its sting. I like what Scott McKnight says. What was once used to control me is now used to free me. For when I die, that's when I meet the love of my life, Jesus. Scott McKnight, look him up, read his stuff. Point three, as we close. Not only there's a king in all creation, there's a king on a cross, and lastly, there's a king on a throne. There's a king on a throne. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. There's a king on a throne. There's a king on a throne. Therefore, God exalted him, to the highest place and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is in fact Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whenever I talk to Jehovah Witnesses, this is a, this is a fun one. This is a fun one because if you were to talk to a J-Dub and if you're a Jehovah Witness background, you'll, you'll appreciate this because um, I love you. And the best part about Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and Church of Christ and Church of God and like Mother Gods and all the people who knock on my door, the best part about that is that I'm, I'm coming for you too. I'm coming for you too. I, that's the best part. So you knock on my door, you're ready for a conversation and my job is to win 
one more. And your job is to win one more. And I would ask you, if you have a Jehovah Witness background, well, what is the name above every name? Yeah, maybe it's Jehovah. And that's a great name. So what happens when God gives Jesus the name above every name? What does that make Jesus? Makes him God. Makes him Jehovah. And you may not have a clear understanding of what Jehovah Witnesses believe, but they don't believe that Jesus is in fact God. But Philippians 2 makes it very clear that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's the name that we worship. At the name of Jesus, God gave him the name above every name. Anyways, that's a side note to put that in your back pocket for the next time you hear the doorbell ring. What I like about this particular passage is that there's, there's other skeptics that I talk to when I do evangelism. And oftentimes, they don't feel the need to reconcile their relationship with God right now. And they say things that are very unique to me. They say things like, well, when I die, I'll plead my case and we'll see how it goes. As if they're like trying to talk themselves out of a speeding ticket or something. Right? Like, oh, yeah, I'll just talk to the judge and, you know, I'll be my own attorney and, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll repent then. I'll say, I'll ask for forgiveness when I die. And I'm like, that, that, that is not how this works. This is, have you ever, I mean, if I, if I asked you to raise your hand, I guarantee you've heard somebody say something like that. But the reality is, is that there is a king in creation. And there's a king on a cross, and he offers you grace and mercy now. But when you meet him on judgment day, there will be no mercy left. There will only be judgment. Because that's when you will meet the king who is on a throne who will rule with all justice. And guess what? You deserve eternal punishment because you've broken God's law and you failed to honor him on earth. So why would he ever honor you in heaven? If you reject the mercy of the king in this life, there will be no mercy in the next There is a real king that our hearts long for. And he shows up in history through creation, through the cross, and on the throne. Now, I'm not just talking about a throne when you die that you see Jesus on Judgment Day. There's a throne in your heart that he gets to rule and reign right now. You can experience the rule and the reign of a loving, compassionate king that will blossom your relationships, your life, your perspective. And he can rule right now. But that's your choice. And only you can give him your heart. And only you can crown him as king. But you have to take the crown away from other things and give it to Jesus. There's a skit. I used to be a missionary with a company called YWAM. And um, I saw this skit live and then I found it online uh, recently, and I'm like, wow, like, they, this is an old skit. Um, <laughs> it's really bad quality. Um, it's horrible. Uh, but I did think, I'm like, wow, you know, I think this really does sum up what I'm trying to sh share today. I think this, this little video that I want to share with you really does sum up what I think I want to share with you today. So, and, then, and so 
at the end of the skit, I want you to ask yourself one question. Who is on the throne of your heart? Who is on the throne of your heart? Let's go ahead and check out the screen. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. <laughs> Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. <laughs> oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to oh. go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, oh. So let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Uh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, okay. so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh, I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. <laughs> well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This I, isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. Who's on the throne of your heart? I want you to ask the question honestly. There is a king that our hearts do long for. And Jesus is in fact king. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So you will either acknowledge him as Lord now or you will acknowledge him as Lord later. But it will be too late. You will either bend your knee now to the great king or you will fall to your knees, knees in regret, wishing that you had earlier. Jesus is in fact king. He is the only one humble enough to be given the throne. Revelations 4. He's the only one truthful enough to lead the way. John 14, 6. He's the only one righteous enough to judge the unrighteous. Romans 1. He's the only one sinless enough to rule over sinful What I want us to become, become like the Magi. Maybe you need to begin your journey or continue your journey by listening to the voice of God where you are right now. Become people who follow the King on a cross by taking up one yourself. Become somebody who receives the mercy and grace of God in this life by giving Jesus the throne in your heart now in every situation 
So who's on the throne of your heart? Let's pray. Father, we give you the only thing that you will accept as a gift, a broken and contrite heart. We are sorry for leading our own lives and we submit to to you, Jesus, as king. We say with our lives, Jesus is king. You are our savior. You are our provision. We desire your son more than we desire life on earth. We desire Jesus more than we desire our own future. We desire Jesus himself as king to rule over every relationship, every occupation, every conversation, every decision. May our family members know you as I know you. May our coworkers know you as I know you. May our city know you as Lord and Savior and Father and King. In Jesus' name we all said, amen.